Hello out there. Just a little disclaimer before we begin. Today's topic is the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, and this conversation was recorded in late May 2020. As such, some of the information that we've discussed is likely to be out of date at the time of listening. Please check with your local government and health officials for the most recent up-to-date announcements. Furthermore, while we are science teachers, we are not health professionals. And now, on with the show! Welcome everyone to episode 4 of the Emanuel Science Podcast, a welcome oasis in the desert that is living in scientific ignorance. From the physics department, I am Mr. Schetzer, your host for today, and when things get tough, my hero is the humble proton, always staying positive. Who else have we got here today? I'm Mrs. Brown from the chemistry department, and I've got a chemistry joke for you. Uh, What do you do with a sick chemist? You dissolve them in one molar hydrochloric acid. Oh, I don't think you dissolve in one molar. <laughs> if you can't helium and you can't curium, then you might as well bury him. I approve. Who else is here? Uh, from the biology department, Miss Wells, um, if you laid my blood vessels end to end, how many times do you think they would circle the Earth's equator? Oh, is this already a challenge? I'm going to go for 17 times. I'll go for 16 then. Manasseh, what do you think? I think I've heard this one, like from Newcastle to Rome or something. So not even once, you think? Well, I can reveal four times around the Earth's equator, it would be. Hey, mysterious fourth person. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Manasseh. I'm in year seven. And if you hear anyone saying H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O is H-2-O, then they've heard it from me, definitely. Nice. <laughs> so Manasseh is a young science enthusiast, as you said, currently in year seven at the time of this recording. Now, Manasseh, as with everything on the internet, this recording may be around for a very long time. I'm curious if you, if you have a message that you could give to your future self if many years from now you listen back to this and go, oh yeah, I was on a podcast when I was in year seven. Oh, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm probably going to go with try to try to go outdoors more and stop sitting down i think that's uh, sage advice for everyone mm, sensible advice. except that we're all indoors currently sitting down recording yeah. this at the moment so we'll do what we can true <laughs> yeah uh, i i would rather be outside when it's nice than uh you know if it was if this was january or so and we were in this situation back then i would look outside and go i don't mind staying yeah. <laughs> too cold too rainy too dark but it's very tempting when it's nice out like this. Uh, So, our main topic of discussion for today, it's a bit of an obscure one. I'm not sure if everyone's heard about this thing. It's been in the news here or there. Occasional discussion. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if people are really familiar with this. It's this thing called the coronav- coronavirus? Yeah. COVID? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. Actually, in all seriousness, uh, all that people seem to be able to talk about these days, besides when will the Premier League return uh, and when, when yeah. will McDonald's reopen, uh, is what is happening with this so-called coronavirus and where are we going with it? So why don't we start with what is uh, what is a virus? So Miss Wells is the resident biologist. 
a virus obviously is not a bacteria. I have read a few occasions where people have said that there's been some debate as to whether or not a virus is even alive. What, what, is that, what is that supposed to mean? How can it not be alive? Yeah, so essentially, in order for something to be alive, it has to fulfill seven different categories, um, which stand for uh, Mrs. C. Gren. So I'm sure you've heard of this, Manasseh, in your biology studies. Well, way to put the pressure on already. By the way, your final grade depends on this answer. Yeah, we have done this. We did this at like, the beginning of the year. Movement, respiration, sensitivity, something of internal conditions. Um, yeah. Growth, res- res- respiration, excretion, and nutrition. Wow. But yeah, it's control of internal conditions, I remember. That was very Amazing. good. Yeah. Color me impressed. How'd you do that? Yeah, that was very quick. <laughs> I'm very impressed when I say... All right, perfect, yeah. So in order for anything to be living, they have to fulfill those seven different categories. So a virus doesn't actually. So for example, yes, it moves, but it needs something like the wind to enable it to move. It can't reproduce by itself. It needs um, a host cell to do that. It's not sensitive to its surroundings, etc., etc. So yeah, it's not living. And that's probably one of the most common misconceptions, I'd say, with, with viruses. And why it's really important to make sure the information you're reading and listening to about coronaviruses from good sources, really. Uh, So yeah, they're not living. I know the answer to this, but just in case, (laughs) does that mean that because it's not living, we shouldn't be worried? Because how can non-living things possibly hurt us? Exactly. No, we should be worried. Definitely very, very cautious. Essentially, how how they reproduce then is when they get inside your body, And first of all, they have got to get inside your body and your body has lots of defences to stop viruses getting in in the first place. But if they do get into your body, then they attach onto proteins on the surface of your cells. And when they attach onto those um, proteins, those receptors on your cells, they begin this process whereby their DNA enters your cell and then their DNA takes over the machinery in your cell and that machinery starts to produce more and more of these viruses. And eventually loads and loads of viruses will be formed and that will cause your cell to essentially burst open and all these viruses to get into your body and then they can flow through your, your bloodstream. And then it's, it's a process which will then be repeated and repeated as these viruses then go on to attach onto more of your cells and so on and so forth. So quite quickly and rapidly, your body can be taken over by this virus which essentially is just a protein coat with a strand of dna in it that's that's all it really is so is it sort of like uh like a secret agent that comes in infiltrates your government at the highest levels sorry for the conspiracy talk but the analogy might work so they come in hijack your systems nobody knows that they're actually working for the enemy and then they transmit messages to the rest of their secret agent community to come in and wreak havoc. That's exactly it. Nice analogy. Yeah, they, they hide. They hide inside your cells, if you like, which is why it makes it really difficult for us to develop uh, drugs to, to destroy viruses. Yeah, so the challenge is finding a drug that will not only uh, kill the virus, but at the same time not damage too many of your body cells that will then affect your function. So the name of coronavirus, does the the corona, is that to do with the shape? Is it something to do, like, is it Latin for crown or something? I know the 19 stands for um, 2019, and corona is the the class of, of lots of different types of viruses. 
I think, is it to do with the, yeah, maybe the spikes around the edges make it look like a kind of crown shape? Lots of things happen like that in science, don't they? We get we get names from Latin. Yeah, I take Latin and I'm pretty sure that, mm. and I'm pretty sure Corona means crown. I think they come from a class of SARS as well. well I think the official name is like yeah, SARS-CoV-2, isn't it? Corona is also a constellation. A bunch of stars that apparently looks like a crown, but in my opinion, it looks oh, right. more like the letter U. Approximately how many candidates are there, you think, for vaccines that people are developing? Oh, well, I know there's one in the U- in, U- in UCL in, um like, I think, I can't remember where it is, but 10 places, maybe. Okay. What does everyone else think? I think there was one in... Oxford University wasn't there that fairly recently went to a human testing stage. I'm not. I'm not sure about that, but I think they were getting to that kind of um, stage of of developing it. And Miss Wells, what do you think? A number. Oh, I think many. I'm going to say because I know the good thing about this is lots of countries are working together as well, aren't they? Yeah. So this is happening all over. Twenty. Now, my information is out of date <laughs> because I've, uh, this is according to the World Health Organization, but this document that I'm looking at is from the 4th of April. And as of the 4th of April, there were 60 that were in preclinical evaluation and two that were in clinical evaluation. So I would imagine the number is much greater. Wow. But as you mentioned, it's, it's really mm. nice to see that even though this uh, each country is kind of responding to the coronavirus in its own way, that there are multiple nations working together. And it just kind of goes to show you that if necessary, countries can put aside their differences and work together. Yeah, I think there was quite a lot of really good information sharing as well. I remember when Italy was at their peak, there was a lot coming out from doctors on the front line, say, talking about their experiences to help um, other countries prepare. Also, as far as I can remember, the entire genome of the virus was mapped out pretty quickly. I did see something interesting, though, on uh, social media of uh, people making masks with uh, with transparent bits in. So um, it was made for someone who was very reliant on lip reading. A lot of the, the facial cues that people get come from the mouth. Mm. I mean, especially the smiling and the frowning. Um, but without that, you're kind of like... You're, you're losing a lot of context when you communicate with somebody. So it might be yeah. very tricky to read someone's face. Yeah, mm. all you've got is their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> or their nose if they're not wearing the mask properly. Uh, Miss Wells, your mask thoughts? There's lots of research, isn't there, out at the moment, which says that they are going to be perhaps something that we move towards more. And might, it might be one of those kind of factors that we, we've gained from this whole experience that maybe these face masks, are they going to become more... Um, integrated into our society perhaps is it likely that we're going to get more pandemics in the future and should we be thinking about using masks more but yeah i do think there's that danger with the false sense of security but obviously there's times when perhaps they're going to be more useful for example on tubes and on buses where that two meters is is really hard to to manage unlike a supermarket where perhaps with with um one-way systems and everything they're less less useful but definitely yeah i think there's going to be occasions like tubes where We've all seen how busy they get. That could be something that is more integrated into society, perhaps. I, I wear one when I go to get groceries, just in case. Uh, because as far as I understand, 
Um, you can be what's called asymptomatic, where you, you may have mm -hmm. traces of the virus in you, but you're not showing any symptoms, and so you may still be contagious. So if I understood yep. correctly, mm -hmm. the idea of the mask is not to save you in case someone coughs or sneezes on you, yeah, but rather to it. make sure that your own respiratory yeah. droplets don't come out and don't infect others. Um, yeah. And apparently they were first designed for like surgeons and dentists and such so that when they're working on you, they're not, you know, drool doesn't fall out of their mouth onto you while they're <laughs> doing some sort of uh, surgery or operation. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see what the scientists say on, on it. It's definitely one that's been discussed a lot, but there hasn't been anything clear yet, has there, from scientists in the UK? Mm hmm. Well, some countries have uh, have have used masks for the longest time. Kind of before this situation, it never really. It just seemed like, oh, that's just some quirky thing that people who don't live here do. Would you buy a custom tailored mask with like a design on it, if it became mandatory? So, if you had one, what what would you put on the front of it? Oh, I'd have to stick with it—a biological theme, probably a floral, multicolored, bright face mask. I'm going to go for. All right. I would I would just go simple, make people laugh. Just just put my mask on and then on top of it just write coronavirus. <laughs> That's cruel. <laughs> How about like go away, you're too close if you can read this. Yeah, yeah, that would be a <laughs> That's good, one. good. Like those bumper stickers. Yeah, <laughs> I I think I'd go for um different masks depending on my mood with like a photo of my lower Ooh. face so you could see whether I wanted to be smiling or sad or whatever <laughs> just to That's avoid that problem of not being able to communicate so like we do with uh oh which uh, which tie am I gonna wear today how am I feeling we'll have like the mask depending on the mood oh this is an interesting insight into how mm. you choose your outfit Mr Schetzer I have to coordinate <laughs> Or I have to try and coordinate. So I haven't been reading anything into your ties, but I think from now on I will. Well, we don't need to go into my uh, <laughs> strange habits of, of clothing. So w one of the things that I liked, uh, I, forget, I think Mrs. Brown mentioned, you said something about let's see where the science uh, takes us. So let's see what the science tells us uh, without getting too much yeah. into whether or not we agree with what the government's been doing. I do like the stance that they take, which is we can't do anything until we have the numbers, the data, the science to back it up. What kind of numbers and data are they talking about? One of the big ones seems to be um, conversation about the R number, um, which I, th I think from my understanding is, is basically if you if you have the virus or the average person with the virus, how many people do they pass it on to? Um, and if you keep that number below one, then um, levels of virus in, of the virus in society gradually decrease. But if it goes above one, that means every person with it is effect is infecting more than one other person and so it increases kind of exponentially and gets a bigger and bigger problem so i i think most recently it seemed to be it's less than one since we've been in lockdown but it's it's not a million miles below one and we need to be a bit careful 0 0.7 yeah i watched it on the news like yesterday yeah interestingly measles has an r value of 15. wow that's huge. Do they do the same uh, MMR vaccine? 
Yeah, mm. they do. Yeah, I think that's but that one's an interesting one because I think there there was a bit of an anti-vax movement and a lot of concern about outbreaks of measles around Europe mm. in recent years because of that kind of anti-vax um, or suspicion, really. I think about vac- vaccines. Um, yeah, I, I I think that kind of incre- increase in numbers of people with measles just reminds us how important it is to follow NHS advice and and get vaccinated if they say it's good for us then we're we're not the experts they Mm. are we should we should get Mm. vaccinated definitely so surely the best way I would imagine to reduce the r value is nobody go outside at all ever then you can infect (laughs) anybody but obviously that will make your life miserable so speaking of which what uh what has life in the lockdown been like what what have we learned uh what have we what have we taken away from this in terms of uh what's really necessary and what's really important in life while staying at home gets very boring i haven't left the house for like two months now and the only thing i keep thinking is i want to go outside i want to go outside i want to go outside but i know that i can't we have like this indoor gym exercise weights thingies so Whenever, so whenever I ask, can I go outside to exercise? They're like, nope, you have to stay at home. Here's what you oh, can yeah, use. Oh yeah, that's true. Even though we can't see, well now we can see six people, but before uh, we couldn't sort of see, meet up with friends and family. I actually felt during kind of the beginning stages of lockdown more connected with my friends and family in terms of um, Zoom calls and FaceTime and WhatsApp. Yeah, I think I felt extremely connected compared to pre pre lockdown. So I think it's made me feel it's put more importance on on speaking to and being with the people you love. I think in in more not being with them, but in a more virtual way, which I think will stay. I hope in terms of um, being more connected and seeing people more. I think it's an interesting one because I think things have changed as the lockdown's gone on. So I I totally agree with you, Miss Wells. To start with, I had loads of contact with people like definitely conversation on the wider family Mm. whatsapp was uh, there were lots of photos lots going on and then gradually i think it's kind of worn off as as time (laughs) has gone on and uh not that i ever do this of course but you can't ignore text messages anymore sorry i was out no you weren't no so i I think what it is is people initially there was this kind of novelty of it and people were really keen to keep each other in the loop and maintain those conversations but i think as time has gone on people have realized how different it is to everyday conversation. So if you're, we we have family Zoom calls and there are six of us plus family, other, like our children, that kind of thing. And in a, if in a room you would be having kind of little side conversations with people and you'd have kind of one-to-one bits and small group conversations. Whereas on a, on a Zoom call, I think it's, it's much harder. You kind of feel like you have to have something significant to say because everyone is listening and and a kind of conversation of 10 people is much less natural than a a kind of room full of small conversations i think that's i think that's something i think i've found challenging about the kind of online relationships i think we realized quickly when we were teaching that if you have more than what is it four or five people in a zoom call you have to have like this unspoken etiquette of okay everyone just we, if you all talk at once, then nobody can hear anything and it just becomes a disaster. Um, I've, I found that there's um, that, that people have been more keen these days to check up on each other. 
because they know yeah, that definitely. there's less human interaction. And so I, I get a nice, uh, it should be any minute now. <laughs> I get a nice uh, daily checkup <laughs> message from my mom back in Canada just to make sure everything's okay, um, which I otherwise <laughs> wouldn't have gotten. And so I, I kind of like that. Mm, it gives people yeah, a bit more... Yeah. The people that you you would be normally too busy to reach out for, now you kind of yeah. you go, I wonder if everyone I, I know is doing okay, because we're kind of all in this together. Yeah. I think there's been a really good focus on well-being throughout the lockdown period. So I think even as it started, I think it was really good that the government said you do go out for your exercise once a day because actually it's, it's something that I, th I think our well-being in in busy modern life is often something we we forget about and ignore and actually it reminded me of of the importance of getting some exercise or going out and hearing the birds singing and uh, just things that I, I didn't really appreciate before and things that I think as we come out of lockdown I will definitely try and keep going with and keep appreciating what, what do you think post-COVID is going to look like? They might take less things for granted that they do now. There's been a lot about businesses, haven't there, struggling through coronavirus and, and maybe the high street will look very different to how it's looked before. Shops, they might take a little bit more precautions because if there eventually will be a second spike. I think that schools, for example, you, you have to stay in one classroom the whole day. It might, that might be your form room, for example. I think unknowingly as well, we, we might give people a bit of a wider berth and incorporate this kind of distance between between people. And even simple things like shaking hands, hugging, that might be something perhaps that, that phases out. Even in business, you know, shaking hand or anything like that, perhaps that won't be be there in years to come. So what what should we replace the uh, the handshake with? I know I know we have the elbow <laughs> bump that works. Yeah. Or the funny little bow. <laughs> Did Prince Charles do like a funny little bow really... to dignitaries? Yeah, I mean even the fist bump is gonna have to go because no hand touch. It's hard to know, isn't it? Because I think it's it's hard to know whether people will keep with the distancing, just being a bit more aware of of viruses and that kind of thing, or whether they'll react in the other way and, and having missed mm, physical contact so much, people, I don't know, maybe people will be more affectionate. It's, it's interesting talking about a post-COVID world because at the moment, I guess we don't know like how we'll come out of this. And it may be that we come out of lockdown in this phased way, but actually have to tighten up again. And uh, uh, who knows how long it's going to yeah. last. I think it's one of the only times where we've ever looked at the future with such uncertainty not in terms of like will we be okay but what's what's the world going to look like are there going to be uh restrictions for travel for the next couple of years yeah. are um i talked about cinemas but i was just reading an article yesterday about you know the theater being one of the lifebloods of london and how you can maintain uh you know the many theaters that are in london uh, and the actors and how you can have people come see performances or even rehearse if you got to keep distances from people. The thing that really uh, that I'm very curious about is is the the romantic relationship stuff. How is that going to work? Yeah. How is that going to happen where you go, uh, you know, really nice to meet you. Let's let's go out on a date. And um, by the way, can I just use my little uh, thermometer to check and make sure that you don't have a. Uh, <laughs> Don't have a fever or 
This, is there going to be like a COVID dating app? No, you can't date this Probably. person. They're yeah. infected. <laughs> Got to come back in 14 days. <laughs> it's just so, yeah, so many questions that mm. even, even though it's a tricky time for all, I, I still find it very fascinating. So I think it's worth discussing a bit more about the idea of a vaccine. Does a vaccine give you the thing that the vaccine is supposed to protect you against? Well, in the vaccine, it contains either dead virus. So in this case, it would be dead. Um, and I know we said it's not living, but it would be a little fragment of the, the virus. Like inactive, or, oh, I think. Ina in, yeah, that's a perfect word. Yeah, inactive or a weakened Form. So that could literally be a little portion of the protein coat or a little section of the antigen on the virus. And your body would still know that that is foreign to it and therefore mount an immune response to it. But in the vaccine, yeah, there's definitely inactive, weakened form of coronavirus in it. Um, so most of the time you wouldn't feel anything because it's a very, very weakened version. So you wouldn't have any symptoms, but it's still allowing your body to produce antibodies to protect you against coronavirus should you be infected with the active form of it. So a, a vaccine, as far as I have been looking, since we haven't really experienced anything like this in a hundred years or so, uh, is that typically a well-designed um, vaccine, until it becomes widely available, is 10 to 15 years. So... Obviously, we don't want to wait that long. And so what we're trying to do is apparently to fast track it by skipping certain stages. Um, initial research, which can take around two to five years, which is looking at different potential um, vaccines that could work. Then you have the preclinical stage, which takes a bit longer and involves testing on animals and testing on tissues. And then you go into the clinical development, which is first of all tested on a small group of humans and then the group gets slightly larger and you're looking at efficacy and dosage the actual stages that they take out i'm not entirely and, sure and potential side effects of course too right side so yeah that's it side effects um so i think i think they're able to fast stream it because um different countries and different places around in the UK as well, are doing lots of different stages of development at the same time. So I think that's speeding it up. Um, so perhaps one part of the UK is focusing on one certain section and another part of the UK is looking at another certain section. I can't say that for sure, but perhaps that would, would speed it up. I think funding as well. Um, normally, you need around £500 million to develop a vaccine. And I think there's been a lot of money that's been pumped into this. So that's likely to speed up the process as well. Uh, but I guess you can't speed up those crucial stages where you are testing the vaccine on, on the human population. So perhaps they're taking the time out of the initial the initial starting point. It's difficult, isn't it? Because there seems to be um, uncertainty on the vaccine issue because mm. it, it's, it's complicated isn't it uh, yeah, if the, if the virus mutates at all it's 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 a, it's a much more complicated thing yeah. than oh we've we've found something that works now it's going to keep working so it's 
yeah, it's, it's tough for those scientists on the front line trying to, I guess, working under a lot of pressure. Like it, it, the the vaccine thing has been held up as this is the big um, kind of hope for getting out of coronavirus. Mm. Yeah, we've also got to keep in mind that a vaccine is preventative. Uh, it's not the same thing as treatment for people that have it and are showing symptoms. Uh, and that kind of that kind of stuff is coming out all the time. I I think I was I was just reading. Uh, a couple of days ago an article on BBC News that was um, doctors talking of their experiences and just talking about how initially they had thought it was very much a, a virus that affected only really the respiratory system but actually there's there's been lots of different um, organs that it's affected and, and I, I, yeah I guess what the research is coming out all the time hopefully as we find out more and more they'll be able to work out which drugs or develop drugs that will will treat it more effectively. And all this is supposed to illustrate is how important it is to listen to health officials. Without enough information, it's very easy to let your mind wander and to think of all sorts of ridiculous claims, such as the introduction of 5G internet somewhat coincided with the appearance of COVID-19. And so therefore, you could easily put two and two together and get three, which is... 5G radiation causes COVID-19. Manasseh? Well, I know that apparently the radiation that's coming from the 5G is effect is allowing the, the spread of coronavirus to spread more because I apparently I saw this video where a woman put this where a woman put a 20 pound note on the floor and it was one of the new ones so she put it on the floor. The next day when she came to came to pick it up again by the way, she put it on the floor outside. The next day she came to pick up the thing, the colour had gone the colour had totally changed. So she was saying, This is this is this is the work of this is the work of five G, so apparently this will kill us. Everyone's be aware, be aware, be aware. So the five G like uh the radiation bleached the ink off of her money? Yes, exactly. Hmm. Okay. We don't like to think it. There are there are plenty of people out there who are really keen to um, I don't know, just get a bit of a reputation or whatever or have some likes on social media by spreading misinformation. And actually, it's so dangerous. I think we really need to weigh up what we read. There's actually been people knocking down or burning down the cell phone towers because of their belief in that. In the GCSE specification for physics... Uh, students will learn, if they haven't already, that the type of EM waves that are given and received by mobile phones is non-ionizing, so it doesn't damage living tissue. And furthermore, the amount, uh, the power, rather, uh, transmitted and received by these devices is very tightly regulated. It's very rarely above a level that is even close to harm. So stop worrying! Um, Manasseh, did you say that was forwarded to you? Yeah. This increase in the transmission of misinformation, I think WhatsApp the other week said that they're limiting the amount of times you can forward a message on your WhatsApp to try and stop this spread. I think five times you can forward something on now. As before, you know, it was like wildfire. And I know I was getting loads of messages forwarded about you know certain things that have been found out about corona and you don't know if they're true necessarily. So I think that's a good thing that's happened to kind of limit this spread from one platform being WhatsApp. Twitter recently um, have been putting mm. fact check um, 
icons next to particular posts and interestingly they put yeah, one um, i think yeah, with something I that. that donald trump had said <laughs> so i think i think it's worth mentioning the idea that just because um two things kind of happen simultaneously like the introduction of 5g and coronavirus that it doesn't necessarily mean that they cause each other and so that is very commonly explored in actually in GCSE maths where they look at the idea of correlation. So Manasseh. Yes. True or false? People with bigger feet have higher intelligence than people with smaller feet. Um I think it I think that's false because it's just a conspiracy that people are saying that oh this is this is making someone better than this person. But then at the same time you never know. So I'm mm. going to go false. Okay. I hate I hate to tell you but it is true. However, like why would my feet be larger than your feet? Because you're older. So what we're really saying is the size of someone's foot and their intelligence may have some relationship to each other, but it doesn't mean that foot size causes intelligence. Yeah. One of the famous ones was related to measles again. So there was a guy in the 80s who was a doctor and published a paper. I I think it was in The Lancet, but I'm not sure. Um, And he associated autism with the MMR vaccine. And from there, there became this big anti-vax movement. Um, But all of his work was later discredited. And there's just an association in that at the age that children get the MMR, it's around the same kind of age that symptoms of autism start to display themselves. And so it it wasn't a causal link. It wasn't that the MMR vaccine caused autism. It was just that the two were happening at at the same time. And uh, that that caused absolute chaos um, and has been really blamed for... um, some of the recent outbreaks of of measles around Europe. I guess because what we talked about with the idea of uncertainty and waiting for the science to come out and tell us what's what and what isn't is, well, if anything is uncertain, then how do you know that it's not the 5G towers? And how do you know that it's not this? Let's, I'm going to read a tweet from the company Lysol, which, uh, does Lysol exist in the UK? Does that, is, are they kind of the same thing as... Mm, I think, is it, think is so. it the same as Dettol, yeah. I think? And Sillip Bang, kind of their household. So here's, here's a reminder from Lysol, who makes disinfectant and hygiene products, uh, a tweet from the 24th of April. As a global leader in health and hygiene products, we must be clear that under no circumstances should our disinfectant products be administered into the human body through injection or ingestion or any other route. So you would think before this that why would anyone ever consider taking the thing that you can use to clean your kitchen counter surface and take a drink of it or inject it into your body? And so that came... Manasseh, do you know anything about where that came from? Yeah, Donald Trump came along uh, and I saw the... I think he was like the health... The health course... Not the course... The health editor or something. He was sitting there. Her, the second he said that, she was like... The, she, Her face just dropped. Hopefully she wasn't on camera. <laughs> Sometimes they capture those and you go, oh, oops. Yeah. As absurd as that idea sounds, 
these are are the products that you're supposed to use to clean. Um, so it does it is a recommended thing to kill said virus and keep your home clean. So it's not it's not super far fetched to take that and go. Okay, well if it works to kill things on the outside, why wouldn't it work to kill things on the inside? So bleach is a strong oxidizing agent and does kill bacteria and um, and viruses. So yeah, you're right. It's not it's not far fetched. But the problem is, it also would destroy cells in your body, and so ingesting even a small quantity could be fatal. Um, or injecting. Yeah, I th- Donald Trump was interesting when he talked about it. He he didn't go as far as saying we should ingest it or anything like that. He it was ambiguous, and he was associating the cleaning side with with it somehow being used as a some kind of medication but it was ambiguous enough to cause uh, the independent said in the 18 hours following his suggestion um there were 30 cases of people calling the poison control center in new york they they revealed a spike in cases um so it just shows how dangerous even kind of not absolute statements can make yeah like oh maybe um, i think if i if i remember when i watched that kind of news clip where he was talking about that it was almost like he was he was asking his his team like oh surely if i mean maybe if you drank it or maybe if we got it in the body some way maybe that could be helpful but i think it goes to show that being in a position of power means that your suggestions are often taken extremely literally which is why you've you've got to be careful what you say when you're not necessarily a health specialist if if someone in a position of power who also was a doctor for 40 years or something or works at the center for disease control i would be more inclined to trust what they've come up with rather than you know the um broken telephone kind of thing where this person told this advisor and then they told this advisor and then they told this reporter and then it got back to the leader of the United States and then he, you know, said that kind of stuff. It's kind of the importance of humility, isn't it? I think, um, I guess if you're a world leader, you're used to talking and people listening and kind of being the expert about things. And I, I suppose it, it could be the same for scientists. They're kind of used to... Um, being the expert on on their field or whatever. And I think sometimes in a situation like this, there are just so many unknowns and it's really important for people to to be humble and, and be open and say, we just don't know, we need to wait, we need to find out more, which I think has happened a lot, like SAGE, the advisors to the government and NHS, lots of them have talked a lot of time about we need to do more research, this could be a possibility, but we don't know yet. So Manasseh, I think the last thing I wanted to ask uh, of you really is as someone who is sharing the kind of lockdown ideas with us, what what is it like for someone your age? Well, some of them were actually taking the advice very seriously and they and decided to stay at home, you know, the necessities and all that. However, there, there are there is that one person who decides who decides, oh, lockdown. There's more, there's more space to play. Yay, let's go. Also worth jumping back to something we mentioned earlier, the idea of uncertainty with the current science and not knowing where it's going. At the beginning, we scientists didn't think that children were at risk at all. 
if they have a lower risk, then they think, oh, okay, then let's do, let's do this because I'm I'm coronavirus free. Manasseh, do you think it, things have changed over time with that? Do you think initially people your age took it seriously, but as time has gone on, they've got a bit bored of it, or or do you think people haven't really taken it seriously throughout? But now that now that lockdown is ending, some people are starting. People are starting to go out more with friends, but then at the same time, you're. But then at the same time, if people are staying two meters apart, so I think they're doing quite well. And you're missing not actually being in school. Oh, um, definitely. But I think now that we have now we're all using Zoom, we can finally like see each other's faces and everything. So before we adjourn for today and head back to our respective fortresses of solitude, um, the, the last few crises that the world experienced, whether they're international, global, or otherwise, there's always been the opportunity to show your support by donating to local or international charities or what have you. While we still encourage people to do that, as there's plenty of options, there are also some non-monetary ways to support the current situation, isn't there? What have people come across? So there is an app out at the moment. It's been out for most of um, lockdown, actually. It's called COVID Symptom Study, and it's currently got about 3.7 million people on it. And all you do is every day you go into it and you say if you're feeling physically well or not. Um, and there's various questions to answer if you're not feeling well to do with your symptoms. Um, and it's gonna, I think it's going to be really useful moving forward um, in terms of research and finding potential hotspots of corona. It's a joint initiative with the NHS and King's College London, and they're trying to encourage as many people as possible to get on board with it. And as I said, it takes about 10 seconds every day to fill in. Yeah, I came across uh, a desktop app called Folding at Home, uh, which I'm not sure. I'll have to look into who makes it and such, but it uses your computer's processing power to help simulate, uh, excuse my terrible biology knowledge here, <laughs> with simulating the folding of proteins. And apparently that can, uh, the simulations and our processing power can be used to further research against you know, fighting things like, I mean, obviously I, I use it for COVID at the moment, but it also has stuff for Alzheimer's and cancer and Parkinson's disease and such. So folding at home, if you have a computer that is on, but it's not doing anything, hey, you might as well grab it. It's, it's important to keep looking after each other as well. I think it's, we want to get involved in these bigger things, but also not underestimate that kind of phone call or, or message that you send to someone to check that they're okay. I think we should keep doing that, even though lockdown now seems it's been going on for a while. The novelty's worn off. So I think why don't we finish with um, Manasseh? Why don't you tell us one thing new that you've either learned to do, learned to make, learned to create, learned to design? So, numéro un, I made a website on science. Manasseandscience.webador.co.uk. I've been make I've been doing a daily blog, cycling a bit more, because you might as well get fit in the in the lockdown. So I've tried to like fix my bikes and fix other people's bikes in my family, of course, because yeah, 
I figured out like the chains and the gears and everything. We made a film called Bananas, which was we made in the media club. So I I'm not I can't say what it I can't say what it actually is, but what I can all I can say is you're you're gonna get different bananas by it. <laughs> Sounds amazing. A great role model to all of our listeners. Uh, and can you please fix my bike? Yes, definitely. Well, that will have to do it for this edition of the Emanuel Science Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us, and a special thank you to our guest, our first, but hopefully not our last one, Manasseh. Would you like to hear us chat about something specific? If so, send an email to podcast at emmanuel.org.uk with your suggestions, questions, queries, even critiques of my Canadian accent. We really would love to hear from you. Check out Emmanuel School on Twitter, at Emmanuel School and the science department at Emmanuel Science. Until next time, stay safe, wash your hands. Bye. Bye. I'm Mr. Milne, headmaster of Emmanuel School. Thank you for listening to our science podcast. Emmanuel is a school located in southwest London and it was founded in 1594 and it now sits in the top 50 for co-ed schools in the whole country. For further information, please visit our website at emmanuel.org.uk.